Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hey everyone, this is Kristen Sinanta Walker, host of Mental Health News Radio, and I'm so pleased that um, my good friend and one of your favorite guests on the show, Christine Louis de Cannonville, emailed me and said, you've got to interview this woman, Joyce Short. So she is on the show today. Let me tell you a little bit about her. She's the author of two books on sexual assault, carnal abuse by deceit, and combating romance scams, Why Lying to Get Laid is a Crime. Her recent TEDx talk, When Yes Means No, The Truth About Consent, has already begun to pave the way for a new law on consent in one state, and she's hoping to raise awareness in many more. Ms. Short is a sexual assault survivor and has been awarded a Woman of Distinction honor by the New York State Assembly. Joyce, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here, sincerely. Thank you for having me. <laughs> of course. Now, I watched that TEDx talk, and I got to tell you, I um, we'll, we'll get into it, of course, in the show, but uh, some things definitely came up for me, even with my ex-husband, um, that uh, thankfully we can talk about today and have a very healthy, loving conversation about things from many, many, you know, 30 years ago, but some things came up where I was like, oof, yeah, had I, had I known this or had the world known this um, a lot earlier, things would have been very different, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Things would have changed. But, you know, there's no time like the present. We need to change it for the future and for the generation that's coming into this world and getting into romantic relationships and being sexualized. We need to we need to put that stake in the sand and, and uh, move forward uh, with people really recognizing what consent is, uh, being able to establish you know the difference between seduction and sexual assault. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about that, about what the difference is, and then and then we'll kind of you know take this windy road wherever we want to take it. But in today's landscape. Now, I want to make sure our listeners know this is what should have been the way it is forever. So this information we're giving isn't, oh, this is how it is today because 
it's been okay before. It's never been okay. It's just that we have this awareness now. So what are your, what are your um, descriptions and definitions about, about this choice? Well, I 100% agree with you. It's always been this way. However, there are people that are, you know, just have a predatory mindset. And we've had laws that unfortunately undermine people's ability to recognize what consent really means. And that's the, dif- the difference between, you know, setting a limit or uh, setting a, a, a law in place that actually stops sexual assault. Uh, Me Too and Time's Up have raised awareness, but they're a movement in need of a solution. Right. The solution very clearly is define consent in our laws because it's not defined. What we see in our laws, for the most part, is various behaviors that our legislators will recognize as sexual assault, but without the underpinnings of what consent really means, uh, there are so many other actions that can take place and conduct that can take place that sexually assaults a person that doesn't get discussed or addressed in our laws. And we need to make that change. So in order to do that, instead of cherry picking very specific conduct and saying, okay, that's a sexual assault, we need to recognize that all non-consensual sex is a sexual assault. Right. And we need to recognize what consent actually means. None of our laws tell us what consent means. They tell us what consent is not. We need a law that defines this is consent, this is what you need, and anything other than this is a sexual assault. You know, it's so it's so clear what you're saying and it's so validating it's validating for all of us who've been assaulted in a violent way and it's also validating for those of us who've maybe we've also been assaulted in a in a very violent way but those micro assaults like summing someone coming up behind me at my desk pulling my shirt down over my shoulders and rubbing my neck and pulling me into their crotch that's a, you know, and it was done with this, oh, this is this loving uh, gesture. Well, this was a married man and he walked up behind me and did this and then felt that that was completely okay. And, and he was entitled to do so. That's, that was also an assault. It's all part and parcel of the same thing. People need to recognize that you have the, you are entitled to consent. People think, in fact, that they're entitled to sex. They're yes. not. Sex is a privilege. Consent is an entitlement. And we have to make that distinction in our laws. And people's behavior, uh, once we make that distinction in our laws, will change. For many, many years, uh, for, for generations, for eons, we lived in a, a world where slavery was acceptable behavior. Right. Uh, and once we fought the uh, Civil War here in the United States, we... And it wasn't the fact that we fought a war, but the fact that we actually enacted laws that abolished slavery. And those laws changed our our moral reasoning toward slavery 
and we have to enact new laws on consent that change our moral reasoning about sexual assault. Does that sound like my TEDx talk? (laughs) (laughs) And it's so true. It's so true. And when you are raised, not only is this in society, we are told in the media, movies, magazines, news, everywhere, we are told that it's okay to do these things. And then, so already on the outside, it's told that it's okay. And then for many of us, like me, my biological father absolutely felt entitled to touch me and he was a pedophile. And so then those of us who are raised where this actually happens to us, we're also being told that on the inside. And so you, you, you grow up in a manner of, um, you just live in a state of constant dissonance constantly because somewhere you know that this is not okay. And yet everywhere you look, including from a parent, you're being told that this is okay. And people are just entitled to sexualize you. Right. You in in fact have to suppress your feelings about it uh, because that man, uh, as you know, from watching my Ted talk, you and I share that in common. And uh, you have to suppress your your sense of defilement, yes. dirtiness, pollution, contamination, all of these things that you feel when someone does something sexually towards you uh, that is inappropriate. And being able to su- learning how to be able to suppress that is not a healthy thing for a person. No, we should not have to suppress our sense of sexuality. We should be able to enjoy our sexuality as a positive thing and not something that we have negative feelings toward because as a child, we experienced something that we had to learn how to suppress our sense of defilement as a result of. Absolutely. There were many years in the beginning of of being married where I had so much educating and fighting to say it's not okay to come up and do something a sexual gesture to me because I'm bent over putting dishes in the dishwasher it is not okay and I I shouldn't have even had to say that mm-hmm. it's a, a, a sense of entitlement uh, male sense of entitlement, and I should say that there could be, you know, females with the same sense of entitlement. But I think that it's more of a testosterone-driven kind of concept. I don't want to be labeled, or I, you know, often I'm labeled as a as a uh, feminazi, right. uh, and my sense of sexuality is I'm a humanist. Right. Uh, I believe that no human being should be subjected to conduct of a sexual nature without their, without their consent. Absolutely. And consent doesn't just mean agreement. And this is, I think, the biggest mistake that we have to straighten out in society, that just because you assent or you acquiesce, and when you're bent over the, uh, the um, uh, dishwasher, basically you're acquiescing to that behavior. It's being made by your husband, your loved one, who you have this relationship with, there's an issue of, you know, not feeling that it's a necessity from the standpoint of, 
you know, continuing with life as normal with this person. Right. Um, but also there are people that abuse their power. They, they abuse a power differential in order to engage you in sex. Harvey Weinstein, perfect example of the <laughs> abuse of the power differential. And a good example of how we can explain the differentiation between assent, acquiescence, and consent. So what Harvey Weinstein did, Harvey Weinstein was very powerful, uh, was a very, very powerful producer. And when he uh, exposed himself or he demanded sexual favors, these people were petrified that he, he could damage their careers. And he forever, did. That they've worked on for all of their lives. And he did. Yeah. He did damage careers. Uh, I mean, he he yeah. absolutely did. That's the thing. It's not that yeah. it's the fear that he would. And he also did. Right. You know, if he were a prison guard, most states have laws that prevent a prison guard from having any, from engaging in any sexual conduct with a prisoner. And that's because of the power differential between them. Just innate in their relationship is that power differential. And with Harvey Weinstein, you can see that power differential. So if he were a prison guard and you were a prisoner, it would be obvious under our laws. But when he's abusing that power differential and he's not a prison guard, what's the difference? He's still abusing that power differential and undermining your ability to consent. Right. You can agree, you can acquiesce, uh, you can agree based on the, um, based on duress or coercion, uh, that's acquiescence. That's not consent. Consent is freely given, knowledgeable, and informed agreement. So that takes me to the next type of uh, agreement that people often confuse for consent, and that's assent. Larry Nasser is a perfect example of assent. He touched people's private parts, pretending that he was medically treating them. Mm. He was deceiving them about the nature of his action. Uh, when he touched them, it was for his sexual pleasure. It wasn't medically necessary. And these people ultimately felt defiled. So when somebody undermines your, your ability to agree based on uh, tricking you, even though you don't know it at the time, you're being sexually assaulted. And once you learn that you're being sexually assaulted, that can create very severe, complex PTSD for you. Yes, and I, I want to give an example here, and let's put it in terms of, of of getting into a marriage or a relationship when you are someone who's had, who's been sexually assaulted um, by a parent, by a stranger, by whomever, and and maybe even as a child, and you share this wound of yours with someone new that you're dating, and that person may feel for you, they may, uh, or they're attracted to you, whatever it may be, but their way of getting in with you is to then make up stories about themselves, lie about themselves in order to keep you in the relationship for whatever reason they're doing so. 
I've had people find out years later, my God, I shared this whole story with this person. And he then shared some story about himself. And I'm saying, I'm using he here. We can change out the gender easily shared, you know, oh, they had this happen to them too, or they've had this trauma too, to try to be relatable to me. And then we had sex and maybe we even had a child and we have this relationship. And I find out years later that nothing that they told me, none of those things happened to them. Mm-hmm. Mirroring is a very potent way to establish a bond with person. And unfortunately, in today's world, we have huge access that is the result of the Internet for the most part, mm-hmm. where in, in uh, you know, many years ago, in George Washington's era, or, or back in colonial days, or even as, as I was growing up, I'm 70 years old, so I, I'm, uh, you know, back, uh, I grew up back in the 50s and the 60s. Right. Um, you know, world, the world was a different place. You knew people in your town. They had a reputation. Their uh, previous lives, uh, were known to you. They had a reputation that existed as a result of the uh, their behaviors in the past. Uh, your friends knew them. Your family knew them. And you're not dating outside the sphere of people who are not who you can't turn to, who are in contact with, or know somebody who knew somebody who knows that person. Today. The internet has given us huge access to perfect strangers coming right through your living room, uh, you know, right there on your desktop, coming yeah. right through your, your monitor, right? Mine sits in my kitchen. Okay, so they're coming right into my kitchen with me on my desktop. And how do I know that they're even the person who they say they are? Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that one of my books covers, uh, Combating Romance, you know, helps you to recognize some of the ways that you can figure out whether that person who you're hearing from and having a, uh, having a uh, discussion with is actually the person who, who you think they are. Mm-hmm. And that's extremely important in today's society. You hear 419 scams. It used to be that uh, Nigeria... Uh, right. Really, uh, kind of wrote wrote the book on those types of scams, and it broke a law that was considered a 419 law in Nigeria. That's why they got that particular that particular name. But today, a lot of it is coming out of Ghana, uh, and the person that you're talking to could be a 13 year old child who is uh, talking out of a script and being coached to. Usually, there are three principal reasons. For romance scams, uh, the three principal reasons for romance scams are either for your assets, or for you know, to, or to be able to have a sexual relationship with you. Because a lot of people that engage in romance scams are sex addicts. Yes. Uh, and the other, and the other reason is for immigration status. So a lot of the people that are affected by cons for immigration status are men uh, because they're being bombarded by uh, some of the some of the traffic that comes in from uh, women that claim, oh, I'm going to love you forever, uh, want to come to the United States, we're going to live together, we're going to get married. 
uh, they might be married already in their country. Right. They might be just looking for immigration status. So if you're going to sponsor them, you're going to help them get to this country and get a green card, uh, then they might use the VAWA laws that enable a person who's abused to remain in the country without giving up their immigration status. And so that's a trick that a great many men are subjected to uh, because, unfortunately, it's there for them to abuse. It's there for a reason. Uh, there are people that get abused, but fortunately, like anything, it is a system that can be abused and is abused, and it's principally men who are abused by it. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous. And they're just good people. And also mygenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, copenotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. And sometimes it is a cell or a, um, a group of, that is controlled by men in another country, and that's called sex trafficking. And they are selling these Absolutely. women to come here and ensnare a male. So there's all kinds of layers to this um, that, that go on uh, that people, you know, we see a Lifetime movie about it or whatever and go, oh, yeah, that's interesting. You know, that that's horrible, but have no idea that it's happening right under your nose in some cases. Yep, exactly. Sex trafficking is uh, also, you know, one of the crimes that has just come to the forefront. And uh, just the other day, I met with a uh, state representative who is uh, actually intent on um, using the language or the concept of consent that I've introduced through my TED Talk in actually enacting a law that will, uh, that will clearly define consent in their state. And she also is very intent on introducing the law on sex trafficking in her state. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping through contacts with, you know, with people, uh, people that can listen to this message here on, on your broadcast can contact me and we can work together in order to get the legislators in their state on board with framing a law that will prevent sexual assault in their state by clearly defining consent and that non-consensual sex is sexual assault. And at the same time, we can be working towards also framing the law on sex trafficking in their state. Right, exactly. I know why victims, you know, rarely report the crime. I understand that. And we'll, let's talk about that next. Um, but I, I want to point out one thing that I think, um, you know, people really need to take into consideration here. And, and I know my listeners, because many of them are trauma survivors themselves. 
you you it's hard to report a crime that you're you don't even understand is a crime. You may feel like you you use the word defilement and my God, that hits me right right in the solar plexus because that's such a true word, but you feel defiled, but you don't even know that it is a crime because you're told in so many places that that's just okay. So I think that part of the why we don't report is because of a lack of education around, we don't even know that that's a crime. And in many cases, as with, with what you're trying to do, it isn't legally a crime. It is in some states, however, very, very few. Uh, Tennessee has the broadest, uh, the, the broadest penal code in regard to uh, punishing sexual assault. But you're absolutely correct, and it's actually why I wrote my first book, uh, my first book, Carnal Abuse by Deceit. When I, when I suffered the carnal abuse that I did, there were no books. There was no internet. <laughs> there were no books on the subject. There was no internet. Uh, I had no sense that a sexual assault had taken place. Uh, I had been deceived by this man for quite some time and had really a horrific sense of defilement. But, you know, the interesting thing is that you can love a person and hate a person at the same time. Absolutely. So one, one part of me hated him. One part of me loved him. A lot of people think that hate is the opposite of love, but it's not. Apathy is the opposite of love. Mm. And when someone does something to harm you seriously, you don't feel apathy towards that person. That's the last thing you feel. Uh, you feel fairly understandable sense of hatred or anger toward that person. But you could still love that person at the same time. So a lot of people struggle through the push and pull of uh, this um, uh, completely polar opposite feeling and then uh, attempt to continue that relationship because they don't quite understand that they've been defiled and this person has really committed a crime against them. Oh, boy. Yeah, uh, including me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> And so one of the reasons that I wrote my first book, Carnal Youth by Deceit, was to help give people the language so that they can understand it and express the terms of how they feel and why they feel that way. Uh, when I first started uh, researching this on the Internet and I put in this concept, I felt emotionally raped. And I didn't know whether emotional rape, but by this time, by the time I wrote my book, there was an internet. And so as I was writing, I wanted to determine whether this thing that I felt as emotional rape uh, really existed, whether maybe I was using a term that was used for something, something different. Uh, I had no idea. So I put in emotional RA and then the computer finished the word for me. And I realized that it was in the system. <laughs> Just the fact alone that it was in the system, that it was a real thing, that I felt a real, a, a, you know, a, a, a real sensation. Tears just started streaming down my face. It mm. was such a tremendous relief for me. 
that I wasn't crazy. Right. I wasn't talking out of, you know, that it was absurd. And the more I read and the more I understood, uh, the more I, you know, was able to put all of my feelings in a, in a place where I could live with them, that I could conquer it, that I could get past it, that I could recognize the harm and the harmfulness of what this person had done to me. So I hoped to express that so that people could read my book and get the benefit of actually being able to express it themselves and understand why this is so was so harmful and how they can put it in a place where they could go forward with their lives with hope and, and a greater sense of self-esteem. Absolutely. I spent a great portion of my marriage believing that the reason why I didn't enjoy sex was because I had been molested, that there's something wrong with me. And that's why I, I didn't ever enjoy it. And I know now after the fact that I didn't enjoy it because I was lied to uh-huh. and uh, that there, and later with someone else discovered, you know, no, there isn't anything wrong with me in that department. I just am physically incapable of enjoying sex with someone that's lying to me. Right, because you're not consenting. Exactly. You're assenting, right? You, you've assented. They've manipulated you. Yep. They've manipulated you into thinking that your assent is consent. Yes. And the only person that knows that you're assenting at the time is that person. Yes. They've done it deliberately. They've done it deliberately to get you to have sex with them that you would not otherwise consent with. Right. They consent to. Or at least you may have consented to it, but you were deprived of the ability to consent because they lied to you. Yes. And the other reason, the other reason that, um, that people don't report this crime is simply because we expect lack of validation from the police. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I, I recently went to a demonstration with the National Organization of Women here in New York. Uh, the 94th Precinct Commander, his name is Peter Rose, was asked by the press why no investigation took place in 10 out of the 13 rapes that were reported in his precinct. And the reason that he gave was, well, you know, these were just Tinder crimes and, you know, dating site crimes. We don't consider that to be, you know, much of an issue. These are, you know, crimes by people that you know. It's not the same as being uh, being hauled into an alley and, and violently raped. Oh, my God. Okay. A little bit of vomit came up in my mouth. Oh, okay. Yeah. So now I also testified before the New York City City Council because a year after that, City Council actually brought NYPD into a hearing and put them on the carpet for their mentality toward, uh, toward rape. And uh, but with that kind of mentality, you can understand why people feel invalidated. And that sense of invalidation makes you just relive the nightmare of what happened to you. Right. And makes you choke on it. So not only are you harmed, 
But now you're choking on the fact that people don't even recognize the harm that you were dealt. It is adding horrible insult to an already sustained injury. Mm-hmm. And we need to make our police, we, we need to enlighten our police to make that stop. And defining consent in our laws is what can do that. Right. Our police, and when I was over at the 94th precinct, I actually asked some of the police officers, okay, are you aware of what consent means? And in each instance, when I asked them, oh, yeah, yeah, we deal with, we deal with violent rapes all the time. We know what, we know what, what consent means. No. So you think that violent rape is the only form of, of a sexual assault? <laughs> well, you know, the person didn't consent. I said, well, what do you think consent means? Well, they didn't agree to it. No, that's not what it means. Agreement can take three different forms in sexual conduct. Consent, freely given knowledgeable and informed agreement, assent, agreement on the face of it, and uh, acquiescence, agreement under duress. So if you're not freely giving knowledgeable and informed agreement, you are not consenting even if you agree to have sex. You know, the people who... What's his name? Uh, the guy who's with the Ponzi scheme. Oh, oh yes. his name escapes me. Yeah, I can't think of it, uh, either, but I know where you're talking. Okay. About. Yeah, uh, huge Ponzi scheme. He cons people. You know, just notorious for pulling this con on very sophisticated, very well educated people, who he conned out of their life savings, and he's in jail today probably will be in jail for the rest of his life uh, because he lied to these people. Now, these people actually transferred money into his account. Right. They, they agreed, but they did not consent. They weren't knowledgeable and informed. Uh, we have a, what's called Nuremberg Code that was passed way back in, I think, around 1947 that actually uh, came into being as a result of the Nuremberg trials against Nazi war crimes. The Nazis did horrible medical experiments on people that they had incarcerated. And today we have what's called uh, Nuremberg Code in the United States. And it gives us a clear basis on which we can understand what consent means. Now, consent you know, a rose by any other name is, is still a rose. Right. Uh, there's not like there's a consent for this or a different understanding of consent for that. Consent is a word. It has a clear definition. That definition is freely given, knowledgeable, and informed agreement. And that definition applies whether consent is being used in order to get your money or cons- your consent is necessary for a medical experiment or your consent is necessary for sexual conduct and for us to pretend that it's not. And the reason that we're pretending that it's not is because our legislators, for the most part, are male. (laughs) And our legislators, for the most part, think that sexual assault is no big deal unless violence is involved. And our legislators want to make sure that our courts are not overrun 
with sexual assault cases. So here's the solution, okay? Our, our laws will not be overrun with sexual assault cases because just like what happened with, anti, with um, uh, anti-slavery laws, people stopped having slaves. This right. isn't rocket science. Right. When you make a law that says you can't have slaves, guess what? People stop having slaves. And when you make a law that says you have to have consent in order to have sexual conduct, people will start recognizing that they have to have consent in order to have sexual conduct. That's just the way it is. So we need a law that states that. And once you do, then the volume of sexual assault will go down considerably, just like murder. You're never going to stop murder, even though people drop the electric chair or they get, uh, you know, they get injected in their life or they're, you know, in prison for life. We still have murder. I'm not saying that you're ever going to be able to uh, categorically stop all sexual assaults, but you're certainly going to raise the awareness of society and you're going to stop the kind of rape mentality that you see in society today. And maybe it will affect our our culture, and then our culture won't perpetuate it through media, movies, all of those things as well. Exactly. And that's why we need to enact non-consensual sex with sexual assault, which, by the way, is the first line in the It's On Us pledge. Uh, In 2014, President Biden, I'm sorry, President, uh, I'm thinking ahead, I don't think he's running. Um, President Obama and Vice President Biden uh, in, uh, created the It's On Us pledge in order to try to minimize the amount of sexual assaults that happen on college campuses. And the first line of the It's On Us pledge says, non-consensual sex is sexual assault. Mm. Problem is, it's not a law. It ought to be the law, right. but it's not the law. We need it to be the law. So we need to pass a law that says non-consensual sex is sexual assault, and then we have to define what consent is, because non-consensual doesn't tell us what consent is. Consent is freely given knowledgeable and informed agreement. You know, just recently when we had the Bill Cosby case, the very, very first question that the jurors asked the judge, Judge O'Neill, it was, what's the meaning of consent? What's the definition? There is no definition of consent in Pennsylvania's laws. So all Judge O'Neill could say to these jurors was, use your common sense. No. You can't can't just leave it up to society to use their common sense and make up what they think consent is. Consent has a definition. And we need people to uh, to be aware of and guided by and held accountable to that definition under the law. And when we do that, we'll be able to com- considerably diminish sexual assault throughout the country. And it's not just our college campuses that needs this law to go into effect. It's all of society. So what can our listeners do and me do to help get this in action? Great. I've done a couple of things that I believe can enlighten people, enlighten legislators, but we need to 
get it to their legislators. And we need to uh, make sure that their legislators know that their constituent base is behind it. One of those things is, I've written a little booklet called Your Consent, The Key to Conquering Sexual Assault. And they can go on my webpage, which is consentawareness.net, and they can get that little booklet. Also, they can watch my TEDx talk, which is when yes means no, the truth about consent. They can make a comment on uh, on the uh, TEDx talk. They can share it. Please share it with everyone you know. The more people that watch that, the more the numbers grow, uh, the more people that get behind it. Uh, it, it it's absolutely uh, you know, the power of, of massive people standing up to get consent defined in our laws will, it is what it takes in order for that to happen. You have a voice. Use it to make right. the world a safer place, please. Absolutely. Watch the TED Talk. Order your consent. The key to conquering sexual assault. Stick it in the no- under the noses of your legislators demand that they enact the law. And if we can get a groundswell of people doing that, we can make a difference today for us, for our, for our generation, for our children, and for all the children yet to come. Absolutely. I've stepped on my, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm preaching. I'm, no, this is, <laughs> this is the show for you to do this. Okay. <laughs> Believe Fabulous. Me. Thank they, you. Thank you for the soapbox. They hear me, our listeners, right? Listeners, <laughs> they hear me constantly on my soapbox. Um, and I don't know how they keep listening. Thank you guys for continuing to listen all these years. I, I appreciate every one of you, but yeah, they, they hear it all the time. So this has been who unbelievable. I can tell you listeners, listen to the Ted talk. I'm going to post it out with this show when it goes live. Um, it, even with all the stuff you hear me talk about, it helped me reframe some things about my own experiences that even an advocate like me needed to reframe that are much more validating to me as a woman and as a human being. So I encourage everyone to do that. And Joyce, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's my pleasure. Sincerely, I really appreciate you giving me the soapbox. (laughs) And I hope that people will get behind it and make it huge difference for society. Absolutely. And remember, everyone, go to consentawareness.net. Visit that site, absorb it, and let's all do something together to educate and inform. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another edition of Mental Health News Radio. good intentions i heat up and act on my emotions thanks so much for listening to mental health news radio our podcast can be found on itunes stitcher and hundreds of other podcast apps or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com if you have a question or would like to be a guest become a podcaster on our network or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com 
Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all, we promised we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you, I can fight it. Good boy.